Welcome to the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive life. I'm your host, Ryan Stacy, and today we're going to be looking at the third film in the Halloween series, the one that has nothing to do with Michael Myers, 1982's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Which is a movie I am actually a pretty big fan of. I think it's, it's very good, it's very fun. Not everybody shares this opinion. It was hated when it came out due to the lack of Michael Myers. Even today, there are people out there who still don't like this movie, and I'm joined by one of them, my good friend Derek. Welcome back to the podcast. Derek, how you doing? Yeah, again, I'd like to say thanks for having me, but I don't know why I keep doing this to myself. I do believe that your praise for the movie is largely unwarranted, but I think a lot of it boils down to a difference in opinion and just our viewing pleasures, but... I'm excited to go through this because it's interesting. It's not like a slasher movie. so Not at all. So it's a horror movie, but it's different, and I'm excited. Yeah, it's much more sci-fi thrillery. Yeah, that's it's 80s sci-fi. If you could bottle that and then dump it into a horror movie that's not all that scary, really. It's not really scary, but there's lots of gore. Yeah. Lots of good gore. Yeah, what can we do with our special effects? And then I guess the the plot of the main bad guy is pretty terrifying. Yeah, I mean, there are high stakes. I think they're silly stakes, but they're high stakes. Very, very high stakes. So like I said, I'm a big fan of this movie, but this is not a review podcast. So it's a good thing Derek is here to keep my overwhelming love for this movie in check. But I just want to say I love how weird it is. Like, that is a big plus for me. Plus, I went in with no expectations. I just heard this movie sucked. Because Michael Myers isn't in it, but I had a good time. So maybe just low expectations are the key to happiness. And maybe that's what happened with me. You had been telling me kind of leading into this movie that you expected me to like this one the best in the series. Sure. And maybe those expectations caused me to knock it around below those first two. But enough about review. Let's get to decisions. So yes, the, the point of this podcast is we are trying to create a master list of rules on how to survive any and all horror movies. And we have plenty of rules so far... We are up to 28 rules. Oh my gosh. Last week was actually the first time where we didn't have any new rules to add, so we'll see if that continues. Uh, but basically what we're doing is looking at all the character decisions made in this film, whether they're good, bad, comparing them to our list of rules, seeing if we need to add any new ones, and then at the very end we'll give out a couple of awards for who did the best job at following the rules and who did the worst job. So you can check out these rules at our Twitter account, at HowToHorror. That's how the number two horror. So go ahead and read those, and we have the whole list of rules there. Uh, we will be spoiling this entire movie, so if you've not seen it, I highly recommend it. Go watch it. Just know Michael Myers is not in this movie. It has nothing to do with the first two films. Completely separate. And enjoy it. I hope you like it. I really do. And there's a lot of twists and turns, so I would highly recommend watching this one first. And also, if you're a raging completionist like I am and you've watched the first two Halloweens already, you might as well do it. Yeah. If you're going to skip some Halloween films, this is not the one to skip. On that note, let's get into Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Okay, so we open on some electronic title sequences where we get a, a digital pumpkin instead of a regular pumpkin. And cut to Northern California, October 23rd, so we're a few days out from Halloween. And we meet Harry Grimbridge, who is just kind of this older guy running for his life down the street. He's being chased by a few guys in a car. So 
right off the bat, Harry's in a horror movie. Like, he's been in one for a while. We're just coming into this. Mm-hmm. He knows. So, rule number one of surviving a horror movie is knowing that you are in a horror movie. That's the number one rule. And right off the bat, we have a guy who is in one. So, cool. And I kind of, I like this because this means we're going to have a vessel to follow as maybe he tries to clue in whether or not he's our protagonist or clue in our protagonist. Everyone should know they're in a horror movie. We have that vessel. We have that uh, Virgil right away. Yep. I like this. So there shouldn't be a whole lot of mystery about the weirdness amiss. Sure. So he is chased into this old junkyard and he's looking for help. He's knocking on the trailer door. It's locked. There's nobody here. So he tries to hide behind some cars. And he does kind of a poor job of this because he's like poking his head out and the car with bad guys in it starts to drive away, but then it backs up. So I figure they must have seen him. Yeah. And, you know, there was a couple moments in this junkyard and obviously there'll be an altercation coming up, but he tries to hide behind a shack. And then there's this four foot tall chain link fence behind the building that he very half-heartedly tries to climb over and then gives up. No, no, no. If it's life or death, you can make it over the fence. This is not a video game. Yeah. You can do it. But immediately off the bat, this is rule number 26. Don't give away your position. Yeah, when you're on the run and hiding, do what you can to hide. Yeah, and he's making noise. He's tripping over metal. Like I, I know it's dark. It's a junkyard. But there were lights in there. And you have to try and be a little bit more careful. And even when you're hiding, don't poke out so much. Yeah. Like... They'll see you. Yep. Yep. You gotta you gotta commit to your act. Um, yep. And he is committed to running. For what reason, we don't know. We don't know what these bad guys are capable of, but obviously he felt that fighting was not an option. That's why he was already running. He's tired because you're running from a car. Now it's hide. Commit to the bit. Yep. So he bumps into a well-dressed man, who I'm going to go ahead and spoil right now, is an android. Yeah. We just need to get this out of the way with. There's a lot of androids in this movie. A lot of, they're all wearing suits, these gray suits. We're not going to be talking about their decisions because these particular androids are not really, they don't have free will. They are not sentient. Yeah. We're not talking alien. Yeah, we're not talking alien. When we get to alien, we will talk about the decisions of the androids because they have free will. They are humanoid. But in this case, we will not. And so we don't find out this till way later in the movie. So when Derek was taking notes, he's like, well, this android was dumb or this 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 henchman was dumb. It made a mistake here. We're not going to talk about that because it doesn't matter. Yep. They did not make these decisions. Nothing like crossing those notes out of the notebook. <laughs> yep. So we can just cross those right out. Thanks for wasting my time. So this android attacks Harry and brief fight. But I like this a lot for Harry because he's in a tough spot. These androids are strong. Harry's an older man. But... Rule number 17, never give up. The next thing you try might work. And he has certainly tried something next. He reaches out and he grabs this chain and he pulls this rolling block out from underneath a parked car that's in the junkyard. The car starts rolling forward and he kind of slips underneath the car because it's off the ground. But the henchman, the android who's on top of him, gets smushed between the car and then another car. Another car, yeah. So obviously he's able to escape on that merit, on that decision. And that was... Good of him. Yeah. Good job. It was a good move. He gets out, and we move on. A little corny, but success. I I really like this scene a lot. Okay, so moving on, we cut to one hour later. So that means Harry has been sprinting or running for an hour. So Tired. He's tired. But we come to this gas station attendant, and he's watching uh, the news report. A piece of Stonehenge was stolen. The giant stones in England, like massive freaking stones. One of them was stolen. Five tons a piece, I believe the news reporter said. Yeah, someone stole one. No big deal. That won't come up later. (laughs) 
And then we get our very first Silver Shamrock commercial. Which is my favorite thing ever. I love this commercial to death. It's so obnoxiously annoying. And it's been stuck in my head ever since I've seen this movie. And I love it. It's glorious. And I told, I brought this commercial up to Derek. And I'm like, get get used to this. And I was not exaggerating. It's really catchy. I hate myself for liking it. I don't like this movie. But this will be in my head for the rest of the day. And whenever anyone sings London Bridge or references this movie... Yep. I'm ruined. Yep, it's ruined. Derek's ruined. We all are. And you counted. How many times do they play oh, this commercial in the movie? We'll keep a running count. I wrote it down every single time. Oh, boy. So I will mention it. Take take your bets. Take your bets, folks. Uh, it's, so, it's so good. So that's our first one. There's a thunderstorm coming in, and the power goes out. Classic horror movie stuff. So the attendant hears a strange noise outside, and then it happens again. So, okay, be concerned. Luckily, he does not go outside. He stays in his little building. And he's just looking around outside. Good stuff. I would have locked and loaded here, grab a weapon of some kind. Yeah. Because you're at a gas station in the middle of nowhere. I would just like always have like a wrench laying around just in case I needed to beat somebody. Yeah. Well, and they actually show Harry's head popping out a couple times from behind the gas pump. Do they? they I didn't d- see that. They do it twice. So the first time it's kind of you know a wide shot because he's not really paying attention. And then the second time they do it a little closer up and you can see the head kind of pop up. So he knows that there's something out there. Mm-hmm. And... You got to lock and load a little bit better, but ultimately, like you said, doesn't leave a shelter. I mean... Unfortunately, his door is unlocked, but it is a business. It's got to be open. I think, don't think you can lock your doors during business hours. Yeah. Whatever. It's it's tough. Minor. Grab a weapon for this kind of thing. Just have one with you. Just always. Yeah. And plus, I mean, he looks like he's a mechanic. Like, he does work on cars as well. So, have a wrench. Yeah. Just, just you know, with an arm's reach. Just have a wrench. All's well. But it's Harry. Harry stumbles in. And he mentions, or says, they're coming, they're coming. So the gas station attendant immediately gets this guy, Harry, in his car and drives off to get him help. Nice guy. Yeah, not, I'm not sure if I would have been the one to drive him there, but this is also the 80s and the power is out. Maybe it yeah. was, um, no, no other option. Power's so. out, phones might be out probably. So, so you know what, I'm going to go ahead and say I'd probably try and do something for yeah. this guy too. If I have no way of getting them help except a car, I would drive them to the hospital. Yeah. It's probably a smart thing he does because an assassin android watches them drive away. Yeah. So this guy might have gotten, by being a good Samaritan, he might have lived. Yeah. Good on this guy. We cut to Dr. Dan Chalice, our main protagonist. What a guy this guy is. He is a doctor and an alcoholic. And he's just the best. <laughs> and, you know, for all the faults of this movie, Dan's not really one of them. If you cut between all the, the logic jumps and the corniness... Dan is a likable protagonist. He is a likable pro- for being such like a kind of a he's not a good no, person. No, he is a flawed, flawed protagonist. Which is interesting. Yeah. But he's likable and you're rooting for him. Yeah. And right off the bat, he's visiting his ex-wife Linda, who's played by the same actress who played Annie in the original Halloween. So just the worst. The, yes. The original Night of the Living Pleb. Yes. <laughs> and she's not much better in this movie, but smaller role. To be fair. Dan's a terrible husband, yeah, or he, ex-husband. He probably drove her to this. Yeah. So he arrives and he is given his kids some Halloween masks, some real cheap plastic ones. And his kids already have some that his mom bought, silver shamrock Halloween masks. Which are apparently the bee's knees. Yeah, they're they're pretty cool. Like, I would wear one of those. And they look fairly high quality yeah. and, and, dare I say, comfortable. I yeah. mean, 
As, as comfortable as a mask can be. A Halloween mask can be. So it doesn't really win him any points here. But he has been drinking, and he gets he's also on call and gets called into the hospital to go to work. So good job, Dan. Drinking and doctoring. Wonderful. Yeah, we had this same exact thing happen in Halloween, too. Yep, we got drunk doctors. So this would be two do- rules. Number, rule number three, do your damn job. Rule number four, don't be a menace. Yep. If you're a doctor, don't drink while you're on call. In fact, just don't drink while you're on call, no matter what your job is. Yeah. Bad. I suppose you would you would know, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I My job requires me to be on call for a week at a time. I can't drink during those times. It's not that hard. Don't drink, Dan. Just do your job. Just do your job. Uh, save that for your days where you're completely off work. So he goes into work. And Dan arrives to treat Harry, who's been brought to the hospital by the gas station attendant. Silver Shamrock commercial number two plays while we're in the hospital. Or no, this is number three. Sorry. Number two plays while we're at Dan's house. Number three plays while we're at the hospital. Yep. So we're up to three at this point. And the commercial uh, wakes Harry up. And he is mentioning, they're going to kill us. All of us. It's pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. I like this. It's creepy. Establishes the stakes. Something is amiss. And you as the audience member, we believe him. Yep. But we know something's wrong. But Dan is kind of like, okay, this guy's on drugs. This yeah. guy is not well. This guy, there's something not right here. That's a fair assumption. Rightfully skeptical because we know nothing else. You know, back when I did security, I had to deal with really drunk people, people who were on drugs before, and they would say some crazy shit. It's safe to assume that this is one of those things. Mm-hmm. If I'm Dan, I assume the same thing. The gas station attendant leaves. He's just like, you know, what? I'm getting, I'm out of here. Solid move, yep. by the way. Because yep. he is creeped out and he's thinking, I don't want any part of this. Yep. This is about as good of an act as he could have done here. Sure. Good on gas station attendant. No name. I love him. I think he actually does have a name. I don't remember what it is, though. Uh, they never say it in the movie. Sure. So we got this credit named guy who I, yes, get out. Yep. Get out. You know, this is this is a little bit of rule number 11 here. Get out. Get out! Now, this might be a little soon to follow this rule. I, you know, I wouldn't say it's to that point where it's like drop everything, get out. But he does it anyway. Right. And, you know, it's this is kind of the, like the neighbors in Halloween 1. There always just seems to be some character in these movies that is sane. And they're thinking, yep, nope, this, we're... We don't get paid for this. Yep, um, I'm good. I'm good, dude. So he's out. So good on him. Dan has Harry drugged. So Harry's now uh, sedated. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, an android arrives at the hospital. Um, oh, one thing that we should note is Harry this entire time has been holding on to one of these silver shamrock masks. The whole time he was running from the androids, uh, when he passes out, now he's in the hospital, he's clutching this thing and will not let it go. And he, so he's passed out, still holding on to this thing. Dan decides to take a nap. That's fine. I mean, drunk and tired and you're at work. Can't take a nap. Whatever. The and, do- and doctors often work 24-hour yeah. shifts. So, you know, that's fine. The android comes in and sneaks into Harry's room, puts his hand over Harry's mouth, who's also sedated, so he probably doesn't have full control of his body. Android crushes his skull and rips part of it out. It's gnarly. And I love it. So that's the end of Harry. Let's talk about Harry real quick. Harry, you know, he really only violated one rule this whole time, and that was he gave away his position, you know. And that didn't do anything. No, because he ended up getting away from that point, and they would have eventually found him anyway, I think. These Mm -hmm. guys are very powerful, so I think Harry was doomed. And even if we uh, fast forward into the movie a little bit, we know what the main antagonist was doing to the people who were arriving. We can only assume that he escaped one of these test rooms mm-hmm. where he would have been dead anyway. Yeah. So 
right off the bat, Harry's in about the worst position you can be in. And honestly, he made it further than I thought. I didn't think he was going to make it out of the junkyard. So, brava, Harry. Good night. Yeah, your one rule violation didn't do you in. And then you did a couple of other things right. You didn't give up. You kept trying. And then you were sedated in the hospital. What can you do? Yeah. So, pretty good job, Harry. The nurse walks in and sees the android standing over him. And the android's got no quarrel with the nurse, but she starts screaming and Dan wakes up. Dan runs over and the nurse is pointing at the android leaving and just babbling incoherently. So Dan runs after him. And this did one of the classic horror movie things that bothers me where the android was maybe 20 feet away from him walking out of the hospital and Dan was sprinting behind him trying to catch up to him and he never does. But that's just a corny thing. That's one of the things that bothers me during the viewing of the movie is the suspension of reality, but... Uh, this android ends up leaving the hospital, Dan in hot pursuit, uh, yeah. Dan is calling after him, android, android is not responding, not responding, he goes into the car that he, you know, we had seen earlier, yep. pours gasoline all over himself, lights himself on fire, and boom, up goes the car in a large explosion. Dan, you're in a horror movie. Dan, you're in a horror movie, this is some weird stuff, if you, if you didn't think it before, you should be now, no excuses. So, investigation starts, so Dan can put things together. This guy who's brought in the hospital, Harry, was mentioning that they're going to kill us. All of us has been murdered by an assassin who then proceeded to burn himself alive. Yeah, this is weird. You know, this isn't necessarily a horror movie. He could be in some sort of political conspiracy thriller. You could die in one of those movies, too. Yeah, this could be Enemy of the State starring Will Smith. Yeah. This this could be... um, Jason Bourne or something. Yeah, The Fugitive or something. Yeah, this could be any of those things. You know, this could be an action thriller. You can die in those movies. So, you know, same rules apply. But also, we have very little information. So, this is a mystery. Yeah, it's also a mystery. And, you know, it's a little tough to know what to do here. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, he calls his ex-wife because he was supposed to take care of his kids that, that night. And the first of many times that Dan disappoints his family because he's like, yeah, I can't come into work. And of course, Linda's really pissed at him. This is not the first time he's done this. But Dan's got a fair excuse this time. He's like, yeah, there's been like two guys who got murdered at the hospital or like two people are dead at the hospital. I got to stay and talk to the guy, you know, stuff like that. So Linda kind of lets it go here. And he's like, I promise I'll take them out next Sunday night or something like that. You know, and there's no rule here to be made, but just in general, Everyone just needs to remember the boy who cried wolf. If you always have an excuse to not do a thing, eventually the person that you're disappointing is never going to believe you. And this is going to come up several times. We can tell this has happened before. It's kind of going back to what we said about him earlier. He is a flawed protagonist, and this is his big flaw. He's obviously very career-driven, and he works long hours as a doctor. He drinks a lot. Drinks a lot. He definitely cheated. 100%. We know. Like, he's flirting with all the ladies. Yeah. There yeah. there are fidelity issues. Yeah. It's not a clean divorce. They not seem to be civil, but they do not like each other. They no. just put on a face for the kids. Yeah. Because they're young kids, too. I mean, they're, young kids. They're, they're 10 and younger. Yeah, but so this is the first time we see that Dan's like, yeah, I can't hang out with the kids. I got to deal with this thing. This one's fair. This one's completely fair. Like, yeah, there was a murder at the hospital. Like, I have to stay here for work reasons. Mm-hmm. But Linda is annoyed, but she lets it go. So we're now on the 24th, and the investigation's continuing. Harry's daughter, Ellie, arrives. Note this, that Dan is, like, in his 40s, and Ellie is maybe 20. <laughs> 20, 22 max. Yeah. That's important to note. Uh, but she's very upset about her father's death. Cut to the 27th. We're at the coroner's office. And we meet the assistant coroner, Teddy, who is 
the, she and Dan are friends and they flirt with each other a bit. We don't really know what their relationship is. She does give him a kiss before he leaves. So there might be something more there. Maybe a cause of divorce. We're not sure though. It's, it's very open-ended. They're just very good friends. Yeah. I don't know, but the implication that I think something happened there or who knows. Dan is a bit of a ladies man. Dan is a ladies man. They don't know anything yet. Dan is very upset by this whole thing, and he asks Teddy to, like, personally handle this because he really wants to know what is going on with this weird-ass case. And by the way, the body of the android, whom they don't know is an android, has been reduced to ash. Yeah. And she's like, there's not a whole lot to see there. And and then he's like, but please, will you take a look at this? And she's like, ah, you know, I, I, will, I will do what I can. And it's actually a bit applicable to the rules there because she's doing her job. But she's also going to go out of her way to make sure that there's nothing crazy amiss. And in that way, going around her regulations might be the right thing to do, but... Go a little above and beyond with this specific one. Sure. So, good on Teddy so far. Good on Teddy so far. Cut to the 29th, and Dan is drinking in a bar. The commercial comes on for the fourth time. (laughs) And Dan is sick of this commercial by this point. He's like, change the channel, please. This sucks. For the record, I'm also sick of the commercial by this time. (laughs) Ryan, I think the Silver Shamrock might have something to do with uh, the plot here. What do you think? Yeah, it's possible. (laughs) Uh, So they mention on Halloween night at 9 o'clock, don't know which time zone, but at 9 o'clock, there's going to be a big giveaway. That's a big plot hole this movie, is the time zone thing. Yeah. 9 o'clock, what time? Does that mean on New York, 12 o'clock or 9 o'clock all over? It It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, we're just going to let that one go. So 9 o'clock, there's going to be a big giveaway. Ellie comes into the bar and is like, yeah, the nurse has told me I could find you here. Dan, how often are I hit this bar? Yeah, he's an alcoholic. <laughs> and she wants to know if Harry said anything before he died. And Dan tries to lie to her like, oh, yeah, he said, tell Ellie I love her. She's like, yeah, you're lying, but thanks. <laughs> and Dan actually does tell her what he said about how, yeah, they're going to kill us, all of us. I'm really freaked out by this. I would love any information if you have any. And they go to Harry's shop. Harry owned a store and kind of a generic store, but they did sell Halloween masks, including silver shamrock masks. And they're out. So they kind of, Ellie's been investigating, and she figured out that Harry, in his appointment book, the last thing he went to was he went to the town where the, the masks are made to get more. San Mira. So Harry went to pick up masks in San Mira, and then something happened. And that's as far as she could figure. So, pretty typical mystery movie startup here. You know, you have one clue, and you're going to go talk to some people. Now... You've got a heading. Ellie, yeah, you should know when you're in a horror movie, too. You know the details of this case now, but it's fine. You want to know who killed your dad. That is totally a fair motive. Yeah, and that's actually something that comes into play for most of this movie, not to get too far into it, but survival isn't the number one goal here because this isn't a slasher film where you're being chased around by michael myers it's not about getting out getting away getting in a car and driving across the country they are not in any immediate danger they're trying to figure something out they're going headfirst into this thing trying to find out what happened and and arguably if you fast forward this movie to the to the end but they don't investigate any further odds are they would be fine odds are yes odds are i mean no guarantees but odds are they're fine so Survival is not something that is on their mind. As people, Ellie wants answers, and Dan has been kind of rattled to the core, and then he might have some less... Yeah, we might have another motivation for Dan very shortly here. Yeah, less than uh, pure motives (laughs) to help 
Ellie in her search for answers. Yes. <laughs> so she says she wants to go to Santa Mira. Cut two. Dan is on the phone with his wife saying, yeah, I can't hang out with the kids. I got to go to a work conference thing. <laughs> just, uh, a, just a bunch of old doctors sitting in a room listening to presentations. He's got a six-pack of beer yeah, in yeah. his hands. He's got, he's got a six-pack of beer in his hands. He's like, yeah, I don't remember the name of the hotel. I'll, I'll see you Monday. I can't hang out with the kids this weekend. I'm, I'm sorry. so sorry. I got, a, I got a thing. You could hear Linda just screaming over the phone because she's heard this a thousand times yep. before. How many doctor's conferences are there in a year? <laughs> Probably not this many. And he just walks over to the car, hops in it with his 20-year-old girl and a six-pack of beer on their way to solve her father's murder. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this might be the funniest scene in the movie. This is the funniest scene in the movie. <laughs> just because the, the six-pack of beer just makes it. Because he, he's just palming it, too. Yep. He's just holding it so casual. It, this is, yeah. This yeah. Is so I'm good. so sorry. Kids, no. Nah. Sorry, kids, I gotta go hang out with this hot young thing. <laughs> In 10 years, son, you'll get it. <laughs> oh, it. Freaking Dan, Dan. Dan is not a good guy. No, he's uh, not. Might I repeat? <laughs> uh, it's a good thing he's, he's charismatic. <laughs> yep. It's so funny. I love this. He is, like, freaked out by this thing, but I think he also just wants to get laid. Yeah. That's that's dance whole motivation. You know, th- and this isn't about the whole getting late thing, but for those of you who haven't seen this movie and will not be watching this movie, Dan is basically Tom Selleck from Friends. Yes. He's not an eye doctor, he's a regular doctor, but he's got the facial hair, he's got the deep voice, and he's got like that, you know, that stature that says I, I I'm, a I'm man. making sure. Yeah. He he is the eighties manly man. Yeah. So you can keep this in your mind that he seems to be the player type and in his mid 40s though in his mid 40s well tom selleck is in his mid 40s and friends as well it it just to know dan is in his mid 40s now he's like 20 maybe yeah she's in her 20s so i mean you know anything that were to happen is obviously fine but it's it's a little unusual to have this kind of relationship in a horror movie yeah because they're gonna have relationships this is a little unusual i think it's hilarious so i'm on board for this and I'll, I'm just along for the ride. That, I'm The train's moving. Can't get off now. <laughs> oh, man. So we get Silver Shamrock Commercial 5 as they drive away. Um, and they do some reading on the road about this town. It's basically this, the Silver Shamrock Company is in this town. It's a, it's a company town. Pretty much everybody in town either works for the company or their entire economy relies on this company. And it was founded by a guy named Connell Cochran who came over from Ireland years ago. And it is the most successful, like, a mask a Halloween costume company in the country. Everybody in town is watching them. Town folks, androids, everybody's staring at them as they drive through town. They're not used to outsiders here. And there's security cameras watching them. And they decide they're going to pose as buyers. And they're going to go up to the factory and like, yeah, we're going to buy some masks and see if they can figure out what happened. So they go over to the motel. And they're posing as husband and wife. Because why not? Because why not? We're just going to go Dan. along with it now. Lean into it, Dan. Lean into it. So the motel owner is showing them around, showing them their motel room. And this is really sneaky of Dan. I actually like this a lot. Or he sneaks off, goes into the main office, and checks the guest logbook and finds Harry's name in there. Yeah. No, Harry stayed here. And then he makes it back. Uh, Mr. Cochran, Connell Cochran, drives by. We, we don't get to see him yet, but we see his limousine. Slowly. Yep. Foreboding. Very much, I'm watching you. Um, the motel owner reveres this guy the way he talks about him. Mm-hmm. So we get the sense that everybody in the town kind of looks up to this guy. Like, 
craziness. Or it could just as easily be that everyone is scared of him. Could be that because, too. Because I mean, there's a scene coming up where the town goes dark and everyone like shuts their windows and their doors and there's a cat sitting on the porch and the guy like picks up the cat and brings it in and shuts the door. So it's kind of like, we're not allowed to say bad things about Cochran. So it's creepy. It's yeah. You're in this town and you need to play by the rules or you're yep. in trouble. And that's, that's an important note. Cause that'll come into play later, but that's a good point. Either everybody in this town is either in on it and okay with what happening. Can they look up to this guy with like crazy reverence or mm-hmm. they're just like, you know what? Shut up, keep my head down and I'll make it through this. Yep. So, we don't get a whole lot of the townsfolk, really. No. Nope. But they all live, besides one that we'll talk about. Yeah. So, good on them. Whatever they did worked. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dan almost gets hit by this RV that pulls into the parking lot. And we meet salesman Buddy, his wife, Betty, and their kid, Buddy Jr. <laughs> Great and, names. Yeah. Buddy, Betty, and Buddy Jr. <laughs> and Buddy's a, you know, classic salesman, like, oh, how are you doing? kind of guy seems nice enough very jovial yeah it kind of feels like you know matilda's dad except actually a good guy yep or uh bob from that 70s show you know he's just very jovial oh, yeah, yeah, very yeah. happy yeah. yeah very he's he is bob that 70s show yeah. it's so similar wow that's crazy yeah those every time i saw buddy i'm like it's bob red hates this guy red hate, red, red, hate, red hates this guy but generally charismatic generally seems like a good dude a little bit of a doof but like nice guy yeah his wife, Betty, a little bit of an airhead, it seems like. Yeah, uh, she's pampered. Yep. He's obviously the breadwinner in this relationship, and you know, it, and that's fine. It's just you understand the dynamic a little yep. bit better. And Buddy Jr. is kind of a loudmouth kid. Yeah, I think he flips him off yep. uh, riding away on his bike, actually. Which so, is very funny. So maybe not so good anyway. Dan meets them, they talk a little bit, and then we meet another woman who almost sits Dan with her car. A woman named Marge, and she's pissed off because the... The factory mixed up her order, so she's got to stay in town an extra day. Dan and Ellie decide to stay the night and go visit the next morning because Dan's tired and wants to drink. I'm tired. I could use a drink. (sighs) Then this is the best. This is the best. So Dan suggests, hey, maybe I should get another room. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Okay, good, Dan. Ellie says, that's like suspicious. And Dan's like, okay, I guess I can sleep in the car. Be more comfortable on the floor. And she says, well, where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? And just slowly looks over her shoulder at him with, you know, the wide eyes, mascara, all of it. And then he goes, well, that's a stupid question. Proceeds to engage in relations. Yes. And (laughs) again, we're not a review podcast, but like, good Lord, how did we get from help me solve my father's murder to hear that this scene almost feels like a, uh, like the intro to a porno it almost does it, it's it's very much in that vein it just it was oh i don't have words it's hilarious find it on youtube maybe if you don't want to watch the movie watch the movie watch the what? movie it's an experience everything is an experience this is definitely an, an experience worth having uh, <laughs> so the town curfew goes into effect like derek was talking about the town completely shuts down Security cameras are watching, but really nobody's out. Dan leaves the liquor store with some booze. He's on his way back to the motel, and he runs into a hobo named Starker. Uh, I had to look this up online because they never say his name. But he's a hobo, and he wants a drink. <laughs> so he he's like, yo, we give me a drink? And he's kind of a scumbag because he's got his own drink. But he's like, hey, I can have some of yours. And Dan's nice for some reason and gives him some. But Dan really just wants information. So good job leveraging what you have to get some info. Yep. So he, Starker kind of gives us some exposition. Cochran basically brought in all of his own workers from Ireland. Didn't hire anybody locally. Starker's 
pissed about this. And he shouts, fuck you to Cochran. And he's talking about, I'm going to burn their factory down. This is the last Halloween. And he wants to burn their factory down with Molotov cocktails. And he stumbles away. You know, I want to first say, bravo, Dan. You got some information. You were able to get something out of this fairly tight-lipped community where everyone was kind of watching you on your way in. I believe Ellie actually described it as being in a fishbowl. It was, yep. it was a funny way to call it out because I feel like a lot of times characters don't acknowledge that there's something fishy going yeah, on fishy. here. Um, but no, they, they call that out immediately. And he what he leverages information. Or like you said, he leverages his position to get some information. But don't share your drink with a strange person. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. That's just a bad plan. He said that he doesn't have any scary diseases. But that doesn't mean anything. If you have to say you don't have any diseases... Most people don't have to say that. Yeah. You just don't have the diseases. And so, I mean, Dan, I get it. You got to do what you got to do. Just let him keep the bottle at that point. It's not worth it. I know that... You're an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic and you and you need your drink, but... Oh, oh. I wouldn't have drank another... At least thoroughly cleanse it, at the very least. Oh, I just... That, I have a hard one with that. But now you said his name was Starker? Starker. So Starker, huge rule violations here. I want to point out that, I mean, his motivations are unclear. It certainly isn't survival if you're taunting the most powerful guy in town and one of the richest people in America, as we learn. He wants to burn the factory down with Molotov cocktails. Ultimately, he will fail in in this quest. He goes back to his shack and is confronted by the androids who proceed to rip his fucking head off. Yeah, they rip it clean off. It's glorious. The effects are good. I love this. And the actor who rips his head off played Michael Myers in Halloween 2, which is kind of fun. So, let's talk about Starker. I don't think he knew he was in a horror movie? I don't know. No, no he, he... Everyone in that town, in my opinion, from my perspective, knows they're in a horror movie. Okay. Okay, they don't know it's a horror movie, but they know they're on thin ice. Sure. Like, even if you were to make this sort of like a big brother overseer kind of movie, right? Sure. The stakes don't change. If you disobey... And you taunt, you will be made an example of. You will die. You will disappear. You know, it's different in every movie, but he he does that very blatantly. I like. I hope you're listening. This is gonna be your last Halloween. It's it's interesting because I have to wonder: is this the first time he's mouthed off like this, or has he done it before in the past with like no repercussions? Because there's been he's been seen as fairly harmless. There's nobody else in town to worry about. But now that Dan is here and giving, and now he's giving information away, is this what does him in? It's a little hard to say. And I think that that must be it, because he seems like the town drunk. Yep. And what would change that? Well, you're talking to strangers now. Yep. So whatever whatever it is, he he was not careful enough. Yeah. So with Starker, it's a couple of different things. First of all, he got drunk when he shouldn't have been getting drunk, but that's kind of besides the point. Mostly, he was a menace. And normally, this isn't the kind of way we normally think of, but the leader of this town, this society... He's a menace to the leader by threatening to burn down this town. So this is a little bit of rule four, don't be a menace. Yeah. And then there's also the rule about being careful what you say to the police. Now, Dan is by no means an officer. And, you know, law enforcement don't play a role in this movie. But he was not careful with what he said. And if you look at it a certain way, the androids are kind of the police of this town. Yeah, the KGB. Yeah, it's it's almost like a secret police kind of thing. Yeah. And he was not careful with what he said. He was very loud and outspoken about what he, he thought and felt. And then finally, it, it's a little bit of a stretch, but it, it kind of works. Rule number 23 is no one to play possum. 
And when I said this before, it's like fake, de- fake, fake being dead and then crawl away when everybody leaves. It's a great way to survive to the sequel. Well, in this case, it's more of know when to play possum in terms of like, yeah, I'm not a threat to your dictatorship or whatever. Eh, don't worry about me. I'm just a lowly drunk. And I'm just going to sit here. You know, play dead in terms of like, yeah, I'm not a threat. I'm no threat to you. And if you want to burn down this factory, just go burn down this factory. You know, don't announce your plans to the world. Go do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I see a, a little bit of my behavior in Starker a little bit insofar as when I have something that I'm really excited about and you keep it a secret for so long, eventually just someone comes along and you're like, this is a total stranger. I can tell them this. Yep. And, I mean, obviously he's drunk, he's impaired, and it's so close to when he's burning down this factory. He's just excited. He just wants to tell someone. He's just like, oh, I want to dance. Yes. So... Still bad. Don't don't do it. You got to be able to check those impulses, Starker, and yep. you know don't lose your head. Good joke. All right. So Ellie runs into Marge, and you know the classic jump scare. With Marge accidentally honks her horn and makes Stupid. Ellie jump. Whatever. <laughs> I accidentally I have accidentally honked my car door or my car horn before by accident. It happens. This is the third time that they've done the scare in front of the hotel with a car. So <laughs> it happens, man. So Marge points out that she has a mask uh, that the logo, there's a little button on the back that says Silver Shamrock Company has fallen off. And that's important for later. Dan, meanwhile, is talking to Teddy on the phone. Teddy thinks the uh, the analysis people have screwed up and got them the wrong sample. They've only found like metal and plastic in their sample so far. They're like, oh, they didn't get the body in here. So that's two days wasted. I'll call you back with more information. Yep. So far, still doing her job. Go yep. you, Teddy. Dan goes back and he and Ellie bang again. Silver Shamrock commercial six plays. And Dan is very sick of it by this point. I definitely think Silver Shamrock has something to do with uh, <laughs> the plot of this movie, Ryan. So Dan is tired and Ellie wants to go for round three. <laughs> and they bang again. So Marge examines this logo button a little bit closer and she notices there's a computer chip kind of thing in the back, a microchip. And she starts fiddling with it with a, a, a hair clip. And something goes off. Laser beam! Freaking laser beam. Freaking laser beam to her face. And what this really is is magical Stonehenge bullshit is what this really is. <laughs> you know, the, the six-pack earlier with Ellie and the, the, the lie to the ex-wife, that's hilarious. When this happened, I had joked already about there being lasers in this town because of the, the cameras pointing at the cats and watching everyone. And then, boom, out of nowhere, laser to the face. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, so what this is, is inside each of these chips, we'll find out later, is a little chip, a little little tiny like shard, particle or shard of Stonehenge. Which has magical bullshit powers for some reason. But that's the movie. It's established. That's the movie. Something, something, exposition, something powers. So Marge fooling around with this caused that to activate. Misfire is the word they use. Yep. And it like melts part of her face off. It's awesome. And like a bug crawls yeah, like out a, of her mouth. like a locust or something like that crawls out. It's nasty. And I love it. Really good effects. Really good effects. Hilarious also. So Marge dies. Yep. Marge did nothing wrong. Marge did nothing wrong. No. She didn't know she was in a horror movie. There's no reason for her to suspect she was in a horror movie. And she got killed by magical Stonehenge bullshit. And no one was trying to kill her. It was an accident. Yeah. Even Cochran shows up later and he's like, yeah, that was an accident. Didn't mean to do that. Yeah, he tells tells Dan later, like, that was a misfire. Uh, My bad. Or her bad, but, you know, 
wasn't attempting to do it. So nothing to say about March. No. Rip. She was a plot device so that we knew that there was something amiss. As if we didn't already know. And if you know what? If we're going to have a plot device, give me a gory one. That's how I like them. (laughs) So Dan and Ellie hear the commotion later on. Paramedics. They're not really paramedics. They're from the the company, the Silver Shamrock. Silver Shamrock paramedics. Uh, They're on the scene. Dan offers his help. He's a doctor, but the paramedics ignore him, and they drive off with Marge. And Mr. Cochran arrives. We meet him for the first time. And he's played by Dan O'Halloran, who is from Twin Peaks and Robocop 1 and 2. Very good actor. He's, he's very good in this movie. I know he's not fond of the film, but he still does a good job. But wait not to phone it in. Wait not to phone it in. And he does do well. He's, he's a good villain. For I, the flaws in the movie, I, I enjoy Cochran. Yep. He assures them everything's going to be fine. It was just an accident, and then she'll get the best care money can buy. But as he's asking his people what happened, Dan overhears them say the word misfire don't have conversations like this within earshot of people who can listen in yeah like you're already super aware of the strangers in town and you're going out of your way to try and you know cover everything up and then you have a conversation about it 15 feet away no not a good plan not a this is a little bit of rule number nine be careful what you say to the police it's not exactly police but we have two people in town snooping around you know, this could apply to reporters. Um, so maybe I should end up changing this rule. Just yeah. be careful what you say. Yeah, yeah. be careful what you say. I would agree with that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to officially change the name of this rule to be careful what you say. Yeah. And that applies to real life. Yeah. Think about who's around, who's hearing this, what message they'll receive from it. Do you want them to know? Do you care? Should you care? Just be careful what you say. And this is especially true with the police, but it's true in general. When you want to pull off an evil plan... Or you want to get help, you want someone to believe you, you need to be careful how you encode your messages because communication is key. It's not all about words, but a lot of it is going to be words. You can be the most composed, well-dressed, well-mannered person in the world and come in spewing the craziest stuff and people aren't going to believe you. So you need to be very careful in how you word things. There's a lot of room for error here. We're not saying that anyone is expected to do this kind of thing perfectly in these horror movies no, or in no. these situations. But come on now, Cochran and Cochran Henchmen, wait until you're in the car. Yeah, yeah. Wait until you're in the car. They're clearly in earshot. You're a few feet away. So yes, uh, official rule adjustment. Rule number nine is now be careful what you say, just in general. So we're now on the 30th, the day before Halloween. Dan calls Teddy again. She's confused. There's no evidence of anybody ever being in this melted car. There's nothing. There's no human remains. Dan asks Teddy to look into Cochran as much as possible, figure out everything she can. Unfortunately, this conversation is bugged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to be careful with that kind of thing. You know, be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. Rule number nine. You know, phones are bugged. People can listen in on conversations. As NSA. Yeah, <laughs> and as Peter Baelish from Game of Thrones would say, information is power. Yes. Spoiler: This is gonna get Teddy killed. Yeah. Yeah, this this mistake on uh, Dan's part is going to get Teddy killed. It's really kind of crazy how much this rule seems to be coming up. It's not, I mean, I guess it ultimately will cost Teddy her life, but they're breaking this rule a lot and not just the pro-tags. Yeah, I mean, and tags too. So, anyway. Be careful what you say. It's, it's huge. This is a real-life rule too. Yeah. An android is watching Dan and Ellie as they walk up to go into the Silver Shamrock Company to check in. And they learn Harry, Ellie's dad, did pick up an order and left... And was last seen driving north out of town, allegedly, mm-hmm. according to Silver Shamrock employees. They're about to leave, and they run into Buddy and his family again. And Mr. Cochran arrives, and basically, we learned Buddy was the top salesman for selling these masks. He doesn't work for Silver Shamrock, but he ran a store that sold them, mm-hmm. and he sold more than anybody this year. 
So he and his family want to tour the facility. But he's like, hey, can my new friends, who you literally just met, buddy, Dan and Ellie come with? And Cochran's like, oh, sure, I guess. In fairness, though, I think that Buddy, he's a salesman at heart, and everyone he meets a is customer. a friend. Is a customer and is a friend. So, so he wants to get Dan and Ellie on his side because I think he assumes they're salesmen, too. Yeah. So he wants to establish a business connection. Good on you, Buddy. This is why you're the number one. I can't believe I'm the one who's rationalizing this decision in this movie. <laughs> anyway. You know, it makes sense, you know. You put yourself in the character's position and try and figure out, what, does this make sense? Yeah, what's it, what are his motivations? Yep, and it makes sense for Buddy. He's a salesman. And he's doing a favor. Yep. Uh, so they go on the tour with him. He does mention that Marge was thrown to, flown to a hospital, and she's fine. No, she's not fine. She's not fine. <laughs> Spoiler alert, she wasn't. So we get a quick tour of the facility, and we establish the Cochran. Before this, he was known, he was an inventor, he a toy maker, and he invented a whole bunch of practical jokes. That was what he did before he got into Halloween masks. But that's kind of what we establish. We get a lot of like intricate little toys and mechanical toys, I mm-hmm. guess. Yep. Stuff like that. Kind of establish he's good with that mechanical kind of stuff. So they also mentioned there's a final processing for the masks that they can't see because there's some trade secrets in there, some volatile chemicals, bullshit. I mean, there were volatile chemicals. They fill the androids with something. Yeah, that's fair. But also Stonehenge bullshit magic. Also Stonehenge bullshit magic. Uh, Buddy really wants to check it out, but Cochran's like, yeah, I can't take you in there. Sorry about that. And Dan's trying to convince him as well. Like, hey, you can't even show your top salesman. Good job, Dan. You're trying. <sighs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and again, as a viewer, you're like, well, this final processing definitely doesn't have anything to do with the plot of this movie. Nothing suspicious at all. <laughs> I love it. Cochran says, yeah, I come have breakfast with me tomorrow. Uh, this is to Buddy and his family. I want, I have some marketing sales stuff I want you to look at. I'd love your opinion on this. So establishing Buddy and his family is going to come back the next day for something. Dan notices a bunch of androids watching him. They look remarkably similar to the one that killed Harry at the beginning of the movie. They're all wearing the same suit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and good on Dan, by the way. This kind of falls under constant vigilance yeah, where sure. you're watching for something. You're not really sure what you're watching for because, he, frankly, they don't have a lot to go off of. No. And we don't really know anything either. We know laser beams, and that's pretty much the one piece of information we have that Dan doesn't. Yeah, so we, we know very little, but he notices that they are being watched like a hawk. Mm-hmm. And he points this out to Ellie, and they decide, well, let's get out of here. Something's off. This is something bad happened here. And on their way... This is the the uh, the smoking gun. Yep. They spot Harry's car in the garage at the factory. Yep. And Ellie like runs over to it, but a bunch of assassins, uh, androids, stop her, and they're like, "Okay, we need to get out of here." Yep. And if there was any doubt about what kind of movie you were in before, you are now in maybe not a horror movie, but you're definitely in a movie where your life is in danger. Yes. And they know it. And and now you know that the antagonists are aware of you because this was kind of a public spectacle too, where even Buddy and his family were yep. thinking, "Okay, that that was weird. That's a little off." And then Cochran just plays it off, oh, "Trade secrets. Oh, they can't go in there." Oh, man. <laughs> so they're in a movie where they are in danger. Yes. And we cut back to the motel. Dan and Ellie are like, "Yeah, we need to get out of here. Something's wrong." So good for them. Rule eleven. Get out. Yep. Unfortunately, a mistake is made. And that is rule number 19. Don't Don't split split up, gang. gang. Let's split up and look for clues. No, Freddy. Don't split up, gang. Bad Freddy. Dan is going to go call the police. Sure. Okay. Great. Call the police. Ellie is going to pack. Don't split up. Don't split up. Do both. You know, if you want to do both, I'd recommend just getting the fuck on the road. I would recommend don't pack. 
I would recommend don't even call the cops. You might want to call the cops. Just as like an insurance policy, like maybe call the cops. I can see it. I, 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 you go either way on the cops thing. And, and I know that, again, early 1980s, no cell phones. You know, nowadays we can do all of this at once. We don't have to make these sacrifices. Yep. And thank you, technology, yes. for that. But you know you're in immediate danger. You need to get yourself clear and yep. get yourself someplace public. I think that your personal safety comes first, and you should have gotten in the car and just left. Don't even go back to the hotel. You had an out right there. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I get the calling the cops thing just as an insurance. Like, like if we can't get out of town for some reason, maybe we can get the, the, them to come here for us. Yeah. I get that, and I'm fine with that. And don't split up. And I, and I know I got to put myself in their shoes a little bit. If it were me and I had been doing this and I'm thinking about – you have that mental checklist when you go on a trip and you need to go back and you need to pack your stuff and you need to leave. Maybe there was something valuable there. I doubt it. They had one bag. Yep. They That was established earlier. I don't think it was meant to tie to this scene at all. But, but it, it does. Either way, I think if it's me, I'm out of that town already because you know you're in trouble. Yeah, I pedal to the middle. So I, I call it a mistake, but I'm going to call that one a minor one. But splitting up... Big, big mistake. Big, big, big and mistake. this is going to cost Ellie big time. Yep. Dan goes to call the police but can't get through to anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of a fun thing. So, when the curfew went into effect earlier, there was announcements letting everybody know. And Jamie Lee Curtis cameos here as the the person saying, like, hey, curfew time, everybody go back. Well, the operator, Dan, Dan keeps trying to get through and we can't complete your call is dialed. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. It's it's Cochrane's people, basically. Yep. That's that's the little fun thing. So, that's a, that's a red flag. So, Dan can't get through to anybody. We get Silver Shamrock commercial seven. Uh, Dan heads back to the motel. He finds the front door open, and Ellie is missing. He glances outside, and there's a group of androids standing out there waiting for him. Yep, run, Dan. Get the fuck out. Time to leave. Time to leave. So the androids chase after him, and Dan manages to escape out the back. And he's running and hiding around town. He, he's trying to get to the factory. And he sees... So this is all good. He's ducking and diving and dodging. He's hiding behind stuff, and he doesn't get spotted here at all. Yeah. And I actually kind of like, I mean, I know he didn't have to commit too badly, but I like how the actor, he like, he takes a dive oh, behind yeah. a small white picket fence at one point. I'm thinking, wow, you didn't need to go that hard because there was no mat. Nope. I mean, we we saw the whole thing. I loved it. It was, it was great. great. Yeah. Dan, Tom Atkins, uh, solid actor. He's fun. D- love Dan. So he's following this car up to the factory because Ellie's in the car and she's been taken away. So question, what do you do here? Can you just, like, run for it and get out of town? Or do you try and rescue Ellie? You know, again, I I think I've said it four times, and I apologize that I'm going to say it again, but you need to establish what your motivation is. Mm -hmm. Dan is a pretty wishy-washy guy in terms of love interest. We've already established this. I don't know if Ellie was any different. I don't know that we have any evidence to the affirmative there. That's fine. But choosing to go after Ellie means that survival is no longer your primary motivation. It might be a goal, but it's not what you're trying to do because he had a way out. You know, he he could have left here. Yep. What do I do? I think I leave. I I mean, I'd like to think I'm not in this situation, but if you drop me in right here, I leave. I mean, we have a rule. Don't go looking for missing people. And she's not missing yet, but... Yeah, they're they're in a car. You're on foot. They're going to a spooky factory that you don't know. She's missing. Don't go looking. Yeah, rule fourteen is don't go looking for missing people. It's a little unusual because he can. She's still in sight, 
Yeah. And maybe you follow just long enough to, to like establish, yeah, she gets taken to the factory. Now she's gone. Yep. She's in there somewhere. You are outnumbered. You're outgunned. You have no weapon. You have no backup. You have no information. You don't know what's happening. At this point, you need to get this message out. Like say, hey, people are getting kidnapped and killed here. Mm-hmm. I need help. Possibly going to kill everybody somehow. Mm-hmm. You can even just say, hey, I know that this girl I was with, she was kidnapped. Yep. You go go to this hotel. They broke the door down. I mean, there are a number of things that you can do here. Yep. And I think I think I leave. And I'm I'm thinking, sorry, Ellie, but collateral damage. Yep. The car is still at the motel. Jump in the car, drive away. Maybe circle around the androids and drive off because they're going to use this car later in the film. They're yeah. going to just drive away. Either A, steal the car and drive off, get help. B, this is just walk away. You don't have to walk out on a road, you know, because that's that's what they'll look for. If you're running forward, they're going to look for you on the roads. Sure. Just go walk into the woods. They can't yeah. follow you through all the woods. Yep. Just get out and go to the next town. And also, it's kind of established that these androids do not move quickly. They're not that fast, no. No, they're they're very rudimentary. Yeah. I mean, they were made by a, a, a Tinker Toy Maker. I mean, they are not Ash from Alien. No. So they don't even speak. No, they don't speak at all. So you can outrun them. You could a brisk walk. As long as they don't have a car, you're fine. So... Yeah, if I'm if I'm Dan, and I'm not saying if I'm Ellie, rule eleven, get out before you go back to the motel. Yep. And especially now, now that everything's been escalated to eleven hundred or whatever. Yeah. Just you got to get out. You're a one man army at this point, and you ain't no Rambo. Yep. Bad move for Dan. So Ellie gets taken inside, and this is actually the last time we see Ellie alive. So let's assume Ellie dies here. Mm-hmm. She gets killed off screen somehow because we see her again as an android, but Ellie's dead. So I think we just kind of. The same kind of rules for Dan. It was like, she knew she was in a horror movie, but she was interested in, she wanted to know what happened to her dad. That's fine. But when shit hits the fan, she did not get out immediately. And they split up. Yep. Ellie is very tiny. Yeah. She has no chance against an army of androids. No. So, yeah. Don't split up, gang. And if I remember right, they both left the door open to the hotel room. So, there was no warning for her to even try and get out that back window. Possibly. I don't remember if they left the door open or not. I thought they left the door closed. But they didn't lock it, at the very least. Yeah. So she didn't have much of a chance. Yeah. A couple of things could be done. Got it. Yep. Get out sooner and don't split up. Yep. But that's the end of Ellie. But we don't know that yet. <laughs> Dan does not know that yet. Yeah. So Dan tries to call for help again. He tries to pay phone again. Can't get through. And he ends up sneaking into the factory. And he's sneaking around, dodging security cameras. Spider Dan. Spider Dan. Banging 20-year-olds when he can. Ah, oh, Dan. Dan the man. So he runs into a woman who's just sitting there knitting, and he's trying to question her, where's the girl, where is she? Turns out she's just an animatronic, and he knocks her head off. Completely mechanical. Early model android. Hey, it was uh, more realistic than anything I saw at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, it was good, good animatronic. An android does attack him, and Dan punches him several times to zero reaction. So, uh-oh. Yep. And, you know, after grappling around on the ground for just a little bit, Dan kind of finds the weak spot. You know, you... Punch them in the gut. Yeah, you just brute force your way through the gut, and you can rip out their innards. Yep. That's what Dan does. He kills an android. Because, yeah, it's mostly just like a, a like a fluid. I'm guessing, you know, some kind of, uh, I don't even know. Yeah. Just some kind of fluid that's, you know, yellow and sticky and nasty. And then just a couple wires, you know, assuming to be kind of like a spine. And he just kind of tore that out. Nothing gory, really, about it. Just like yellow goo. But, I mean, to Dan, oh, whoa. Yeah. This ain't a person. But a couple more androids show up and Mr. Cochran himself. I mean, Dan could have kept fighting a little bit longer, I feel like. 
Yeah, I it, it did seem like he kind of gave up there. Yeah, maybe like if you brought in like five androids, then yeah, okay, okay, I give up. Yeah, but they don't move quickly, and now you know their weak spot. Come yep, on. punch in the gut. Yep, that's <laughs> fine. Okay, here we go. Cochran shows up. And he knows who Dan really is. Yep. He's been given a fake name this whole time, but now he knows the truth. Cut to Halloween. We're here. Dan is brought into the final processing area. And Cochran kind of explains the androids. Dan is brought into this big control room area, and we finally see Stonehenge in his all of its glory. You'll never believe how we got it here. <laughs> yeah. Slaps his leg, doesn't talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, I love this. Uh, I don't think the screenwriter knew how they got it here either, so they just kind of explain it away with kind of a jokey line, which, you know what, I'm okay with that. It's a fine way to do it. That's okay. Fuck it. Like, we're, we're here. We're, we're Stonehenge magical bullshit. It's fine. <laughs> We've already seen laser beams, and, and it's 1982 in small-town America. They, they, Whatever. They, they got Stonehenge here. Somehow. So that he kind of explains how they put a little piece of Stonehenge in each uh, ship or the masks, and that's what will activate. We still don't know exactly what it's going to do, but it has something to do with Stonehenge's magical laser bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this right now. So we get to see some security cameras. Cochran shows Ellie is being held in a cell. It's not really Ellie. And Marge is revealed to be dead. Now they're going to show Dan a demonstration of what these things are going to do. So it's basically a final test. Buddy and his family are brought into a demonstration room, which is set up like a regular living room. But there's no way out. The door is locked. They are locked inside basically a cell. But it's dressed up like a living room. And Buddy Jr. puts on his mask because... The Silver Shamrock commercial comes on for the eighth time. And this is uh, what the big giveaway is going to be that night at 9 o'clock. And Buddy is just supposed to take notes. He thinks, like, oh, they want my feedback on a commercial or something. So they sit there and they're watching. Buddy's like, hey, isn't this the normal commercial that I've seen a million times already? And this is just great. Buddy Jr. starts, like, seizing up and grabbing the side of his head. And he's wearing the Halloween mask. And his head starts melting and somehow turns into bugs and snakes, killing Buddy Jr. Stonehenge magical bullshit. Stonehenge magic lasers, bugs. That You know, we could get into the logistics of how Stonehenge is creating live sentient matter from... Other live sentient matter? Other live sentient matter. But you'd never believe me if I told you, so we can just move on past that. So his head melts into bugs and snakes. Betty passes out, and Buddy, he's like, no, and he's pounding on the door trying to get out, and there's no, there's no way out, and he ends up getting bit by a rattlesnake. And I, we can assume Betty gets eaten by these things, too, bit by snakes or whatever. Yeah. Point is, all three of them are dead. We never see them again. Yep. Buddy and his family had nothing. They could do nothing. They did not know they were in a horror movie. You know, by the time they realized something weird was going on at all, they were trapped in a cell. They were screwed. They had no chance of surviving this movie. Yeah, it was kind of... Wrong place, wrong time. Shoot, punished for being the top salesman. Yeah, you that know, sucks. I, I've been racking my brain since we started this, trying to think of a rule that they broke. But again, they were a plot device. And again, like you said, if you're going to give me a plot device, give me a gory one. And this company has been established for years. Cochran played the long game with this. Yeah. This is a well-respected, well-known company. Everybody knows Cochran. He's well-respected in the business community. No one could have expected this. Yeah. And so I got nothing for Buddy and his family. They, this, this shit luck. Yeah, caught in the crossfire. Yep. Rip. And they killed a kid in this movie, too. That's a crazy thing. Yeah. This is, I think, the only... Okay, no, it's not the only... There's one more kid who dies in the Halloween series. 
but really up until this point only one mm-hmm. holy shit yeah crazy stuff so we get silver samurai commercial number nine and kids across the country starting to trick-or-treat the big giveaways at nine o'clock we're cut, counting down the minutes now oh my gosh by the way this this commercial lasted i'm talking like two minutes of screen yeah. time as they cut around to omaha seattle LA, seattle all these places and i'm thinking stop it stop stop it this is nine stop it, stop it we got the full track length on this one like this was this was oh my god yeah this is the full this, this is, is the one on itunes this is the single oh it's so good teddy tries calling dan and can't get through again and she's found pieces that weren't part of the car she doesn't really know what they were and meanwhile, an android sneaks in. It's weird because she has some sort of real revelation, realization about something, which I have no idea what it was. You know, I wonder if on one of those pieces were the words Silver Shamrock or something. Maybe? I didn't see it. But I, I didn't see anything either. But like you said, it's really odd because she kind of looks down, has this moment of realization oh like, my God. <gasps> I need to call the police. And then. Yeah, she just starts calling the sheriff. Boom, grab from behind. Yep, she's grabbed from behind, and the android holds her down and drills her in the head with a power drill. Yep, and that's the end. Teddy had no chance. The moment she might have realized she's in a horror movie is whatever her realization was that made her want to call the sheriff. I don't know what it was. The only thing I can say about Teddy is constant vigilance. I'm not saying it would have done her a ton of good in an enclosed space against an android. work, which is like a government building. I would assume they'd have like some sort of security guard, right? And, I'm, and, and I know you need to have a sense of security, but I don't know. Either way, that android still had to walk. Just the the room layout had to walk in, around, and get behind her. I mean, she could have seen him when he came in. I'm nitpicking here nitpicking because sure. whenever someone is completely blindsided by an attack, I'm always thinking to myself, "Could you have seen them? Absolutely, she had a chance to have Maybe, seen this yeah. guy." And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the drill was on the table behind her. This android was able to sneak in, in dress shoes, by the way, which are not quiet, walking on uh, laminate floors. I know this. But it's fine. It's a minor thing. I think that she's dead either way, and I don't think that breaking that rule was the difference between life or death. No. So maybe a little bit of constant vigilance at most, yeah. but really not much for Teddy. Yeah, I'm getting nitpicky because all she did was her job. She was probably there, the only one there, because she was doing this favor for Dan. On Halloween. On yeah. Halloween. A lot of people want Halloween off. Yeah. Wait, but Ryan, I think in an earlier podcast you said it's Halloween. That's a weird spooky night. It is. You and need, that's a good point. You, you need to have constant vigilance yep. on Halloween. Yes. I, 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 I recognize that. <laughs> And what I kind of meant with that is like going out to Halloween parties, like going out and being around. There's freaks out there. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm She's just in a government facility. I'm just ribbing you. No, <laughs> I, I knew you were going to do it too. It is it, it is now Halloween. People who are out at parties, out trick or treating, just be a little cautious. But that doesn't really matter in this movie. They have seen the movie Halloween though. Yep. yep. So it's established the movie Halloween exists. Yeah. <laughs> because Dan is tied up in his cell. Cochran is doing the classic. Here's my motive. And first, I love this. You sly dog. You got me monologuing. Yeah, he does a little bit of monologuing here. You sly dog. You got me monologuing. Uh, first, he's like, well, you know, I love a good practical joke. And this is the best joke of all on the children. Because basically what's going to happen <laughs> is at the 9 o'clock giveaway, everybody's wearing those masks, watching TV. They're going to get their faces fucking melted and turned into bugs and snakes. 
What? That's the plot of this movie? So, like I said earlier, stakes are high. The stakes are weird, but the stakes are high. Like, you can't deny it. (laughs) Every child in America is in danger, and anybody who's sitting next to them while they're watching this giveaway is also in danger. Oh, yeah, this was a a weird one. Yeah, what a twist. But Cochran's actual motive is bringing back the Festival of Samhain, which was called Samhain in Halloween 2, but it's it's actually called Samhain. And silent nod, silent nod to their mistake, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Basically, when this festival comes around in the continuity of this movie, you don't I'm not an expert on this stuff by any means, but it's a fest you have to sacrifice. And in the past, they've sacrificed human children and animals for Samhain, and it's kind of a witchcraft sacrifice for Cochrane, which is literally the only tie to the title of this movie, Season of the Witch. That's yeah, fine, it's. You know, it could have been a better title. You know what? I like the title. Halloween lasers and shit. Lasers and shit. That would have been better. Uh, Halloween Playboy Doctor. Basically, the planets are in alignment. It's for the control of the environment. It's time for another festival, according to Cochran. Yada yada bullshit mumbo jumbo. <laughs> At this point, we've jumped off so many logic cliffs. <laughs> You're just riding it out to the end. They know. They know at what point of the movie they're in. We we don't need explanations. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, I, I honestly, I think I would have liked it a little bit more if it was just like it's a good joke. Like I think I would. I would think I would have rather had just been that be the motivation. It's a great joke. It's on the kids. Yeah, you know, I think I'd have preferred that too because he even addresses. He's like, isn't it so much more terrifying if I don't have a motive? Yeah. Which is very Scream-esque. Yeah, that's what they say in Scream. Yep. Or that's what Randy Meeks says. You know, yeah. it's more terrifying the if there's no motive. Yeah, I would have liked it better. It's like, oh, it's just a good joke. Like, that's a great motive. Love it. I, I don't need this Samhain stuff. I mean, I get they're trying to tie it to Halloween 2 a little bit. And this will come into play in some of the, the Halloween sequels, particularly 6. Good God. Whatever. Uh, th- that's like my least favorite part of the movie, probably. It's like, eh, was, eh. Of all the mumbo-jumbo that they go in there, I like how this is kind of where you draw a line. You draw a circle around this, and you're thinking, this this is where you lost me a little bit. I mean, the, the performance <laughs> is good, and the monologue he gives is yeah. excellent. Oh, absolutely. But like, when you think about it, it's like, what? Okay, sure, no, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but lasers, though, that's awesome. Lasers are fucking awesome. I love the laser. Um, so Cochran puts one of the masks on Dan and turns on the TV. The original Halloween is playing on TV. Oh, by the way... Happy Halloween, and leaves him there to die. Now, you didn't need to be a Bond villain, Cochran. Just kill him. Yeah, don't play with your food. Don't play with your food. Don't don't monologue. Don't play with your food. Don't get creative. You know what? A good gun to the head. Android. You seem like the kind of guy who doesn't really want to get his hands all that dirty. Have one of your androids go strangle him while he's tied to a chair. You did not need to do this. And Dan is a nobody to you. It'd be one thing if this was someone who had hurt you personally and you wanted to make them suffer. So, you know, live feed to Dan's family or something. Like, you you could have done something more here. You've got no reason to hate this guy. Just kill him. So I actually do have a new rule here. This is going to result in Cochran's death eventually. It's a Breaking Bad reference, but it's called No Half Measures. Moral of the story is, I chose a half measure when I should have gone all the way. I'll never make that mistake again. No more half measures, Walter. And this is a big theme of Breaking Bad, where if you're gonna do something, you go all the way. You go full measure. You 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 don't you don't just put your enemy like kind of out of the way. You kill him. You gotta go full throttle into this. You don't just lock him up and wait for the classic Bond villain scenario. Just shoot him in the head. You remove that from the equation. 
It's kind of like double tapping, but it's it's not a double tap. Super efficient single tapping. Yeah, exactly. It, it It's no half measures. You finish the job now. And once you watch Breaking Bad, you'll really understand like how sure. big this is in that show. Because that's something they learn is they try and do half measures. It doesn't work. You got to do the full measure. Mm. So no half measures. And this is big for Survivor too. Uh, you got to go full measures all the time on this kind of stuff. So Cochran needed to kill Dan right here, right now. Instead, mm-hmm. he, he tied him up and left them for an elaborate death. That's wonderful. No, it's not. You shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. Finish the job and decapitate him, whatever. No half measures. So that's, uh, that is against Cochran. So in rule 29, no half measures. Can't believe we got a new rule out of this. Yep. And it's from the villain, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's helpful when we have a human villain instead of just some mindless monster. Yeah, because, I mean, oddly enough, we had uh, Look Both Ways before crossing the street from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. That was the villain. Yep. He did not look both ways, and he got flattened. Yep. And because of this, Cochran will end up dead because Dan's going to escape and kill him. Yep. He had the game right here. He had the game won. Mm-hmm. Couldn't close it. So Cochran goes to the control room. Dan immediately just kicks out the TV. His legs are free, and he just kicks it, breaks the screen. It's like, Dan, Dan, goes, Dan goes awesome here. Full action hero mode right here. I love this from Dan. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's kind of an act of desperation because he sees the camera looking at him. Yep. And it just, you know, it's uh, it's the rat walking over the control panel in Endgame. One of the technicians just happened to look away to prepare for the ritual, and Dan sprung into action, you know? He, he had no idea. He just had to trust that he keeps fighting and maybe something good happens. Rule 17, mm-hmm. never, never give up. up. The next thing you try might work. Um, so what's go the Dan. worst thing that can happen? This you die. I'm like, oh no, you're going to kill me more? You can, uh, my head won't get turned into bugs? Oh no. <laughs> so Cochran gets a phone call from one of the heads of the broadcasting companies that's airing his commercial, yada yada. Dan cuts himself loose, gets his mask off, manages to toss it on top of the camera with his legs. What? You know, it was it was a very light flick oh, from okay. his hands that were still kind of oh, yeah, yeah. bound, but it was still like... One uh, go, he tosses the, the mask perfectly on top of the camera to block the view. Now, I will say one thing about that I believe was intentional. They show the camera's point of view with the mask hanging from it. It looked exactly like Michael Myers' first-person viewpoint after he put his mask on oh, in really? the first Halloween. Because it was just like kind of like that eye hole uh-huh. and seeing through it just a little bit. I was like, oh, that has to be a callback. That's it cool. It has to be. I didn't so, notice that. But anyway, either what you said, it was ridiculous. Hell of a shot. But you know what? Again, never give up. Never give up. <laughs> just go for it. So one of the scientists, these guys are humans because they can talk. They, they see that Dan is escaping and getting out the air vent. But he doesn't want to interrupt his boss's phone call. <laughs> and I get it. We've all been there. Your boss's time is important and you don't want to be the nuisance. But something tells me that this is a moment where you say, hey, boss, I, I, mm, just come look at the monitor. You don't even have to get off the phone. Just mm. The thing is on wheels. Roll the screen over to him like, this guy's out. But instead, we cut to 20 minutes later. <laughs> oh, this technician is so fired. Yeah, rule number three, do your damn job. Yep. Yeah. You got to tell, you got to be the, be the bearer of bad news sometimes. Yep. Dan's crawling out the air vent. He's escaped. He gets on the roof. He sneaks back to the warehouse and he calls his ex-wife, Linda. And he has to be very quietly so he can't like get loud with her on the phone. But it's basically like, you got to get rid of the, the silver shamrock masks. And she's like, you're ridiculous. You're supposed to take the kids trick-or-treating. You didn't show up. You're just jealous because my masks were better than the masks that you bought them. Screw you and hangs up the phone. You know what? Fair enough. Like, like she's making a mistake, 
But she has no reason to believe that. Yeah, boy who cried wolf. Yep. Honestly, Linda makes the right move. She's probably the good parent. She is the good She's parent. She's the mom in Mrs. Doubtfire, probably. You know, <laughs> yeah. everybody treats her as the villain. No, she was completely reasonable, and the dad sucks. Yeah. We all like him, because he was Robin Williams, or Dan. Yeah. <laughs> but they're the shit parent. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's the whole movie of Mrs. Doubtfire, is him learning how to be a good parent. Yep. There's a reason that he was not with his kids. Yeah. And, you know, there's a reason that Linda is not taking his words at face value. Boy who cried wolf. Boy who cried wolf. So Linda hangs up. So Dan goes and finds Ellie in Freezer. And Cochran sees this and sends some androids after him. And they, they sneak into the control room somehow. They're hiding behind boxes and masks. They're moving around. This is poor constant vigilance on all of the bad guys here. All the technicians, even the androids. I don't expect much from you, but Come I on. mean, you saw the guy in the junkyard at the beginning of the movie. You were able to do that. This is even Cochran himself. Yeah, bad, bad, yeah. bad, bad. They are not surreptitious here. You got to notice. Dan finds a box of the logos, little the, the pins or the, the the emblems, little buttons that have yeah. the the shards of uh, Stonehenge bullshit magic, bullshit magic inside. Yep. And he tells Ellie to stay behind. Ellie has not said a word up to this point, fun fact. Uh, so Dan sneaks into the control area like a ninja and activates the commercial for but, the tenth time. And he does it by pressing random buttons, random unmarked buttons, twists a knob, and it turns on. Oh, Never give up. The next thing you try might work. Yep, you're right. Just start. Ma- I thought he was just going to start mashing the buttons. But, you know, hey, it worked. It worked. It worked. He, um, d- he did have a chance to see the technician do that earlier with sure. Buddy, but... Uh, sure. Uh, it's still stretch. That's fine. We're here. Let's We're here. go. <laughs> uh, so Cochran notices at this point in the commercials running. And Dan and Ellie run to the rafters. Cochran doesn't really do much about this. The androids go after them. But he's just kind of like watching. And I like to think that he's just like, huh, I'm kind of interested about what you're going to try here. Let's see if you can pull this off. Fuck it. That's that's kind of what the vibe I got from Cochran. And I, I agree. Because basically... Uh, Dan dumps these buttons over into the group of technicians, which has the commercial playing uh, from all directions into this circle. Yep. And cause them to activate. Yeah, and it causes all these buttons to activate, and they basically get electrocuted, killing all of the androids and the technicians that are in that immediate vicinity. I think it actually shorts all of all of them, all of the androids except Ellie. Ellie, but she was further away. Uh, but there were ones climbing the rafters to get towards them too. They were just in range. It's fine. There's, it's it's you like can, you can explain it away. Like I said, <clears throat> we're already here. The the roller coaster's going over the edge now. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. But we get this really cool moment from Cochrane at this point because the the magic is kind of spiraling out of control. You see some lightning flying off a of Stonehenge, and you see this magic poltergeist thing going on with the monitors that were near the technicians. And Cochrane looks up at Dan and Ellie in the rafters, and he just gives them a slow. Yeah, at first he's like, "What the fuck?" But then he's like, "You know what? Well done!" And gives him a slow golf clap. Yeah, just kind of like a, a solemn nod, like, "All Respect. right, y- you got me." Honestly, I was not expecting that. He's like, I'm "Not even mad." <laughs> now. This would have been so much cooler for me if there weren't so many ridiculous logic jumps in this uh, sequence of events that does not diminish Dan O'Hillary's performance here. He did not phone it in. He did well. He gave that solemn little mad props, dude. Mad props. Good good job. And then he gets, boom, vaporized by yep. Magic Stonehenge bullshit. Yep. Vaporized completely. So, so first, let's talk about these technicians as a group. Mostly... Don't be a menace. 
<laughs> yeah, if you're going to try and murder millions of children, that's probably the first uh, clue that you're doing something wrong. And, and that goes for Cochran as well. And then the one technician probably should have been like, Mr. Cochran, sir, he escaped a little sooner. <laughs> so rule number three, do your damn job. It, it, it's like we talked about with Halloween 2 when they did a bad job, when the, the nurse, the, the trainee nurse, Janet, did not report to her supervisor hey, the security guy, I, I don't know where he is. He's kind of a bumbling idiot. I'm going to report to you. You know, building security and safety for your staff, that is the job of everybody. Yeah. If you see something, say something. And even it, when you're an evil corporation, it yeah. still matters. And this is, I think I said the same thing. Inaction becomes your action. Yep. You know, and you suffer those consequences all the same. And now, technician, you didn't interrupt his phone call. You died. The worst thing, the worst thing that could happen if you interrupt him is he's, like, really mad at you and you die. Oh, no. You're dead. But at least maybe you saved the company or the plan or whatever your goal is. I don't know. They must be getting paid really well. They must be. And if you interrupt him and say, hey, the prisoner escaped, he'd be like, oh, uh, I gotta go. <laughs> like, come on. Or at least maybe, he's, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe Cochran really wasn't that worried about it and he just goes handle it yeah you know delegate 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 he's a good boss he's a successful businessman very successful businessman he he knows so anyway yeah so that's for the technicians then we have connell cochran himself our villain who made quite a few mistakes yeah number one don't be a menace yep (laughs) yep also constant vigilance gotta keep an eye on this kind of stuff yep but i really think his big thing was our, our brand new rule rule number 29 don't half measures his failure to kill Dan when he had the chance, it's like every Bond movie. The villain has a chance to kill James Bond, doesn't take it. Oh no, James Bond comes back and saves the day. What did you expect was going to happen? Yes. So you just gotta, when you have the chance, take him out. Yep. And I mean, I, I still love the joke about the monologuing, because that's just a corny corny thing that movies still do. And you know what? I like that they do it. Yep. It's, it's fine. But yeah, like you said, no half measures. Kill Dan. You had the chance. He was in your grasp. And and you already killed Ellie. Like yeah, why the hell not? That's so so what made Dan different? You know, I I'm not even sure. I I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. It was a bad call on Cochran's part. So the facility kind of blows up slash catches fire, but Dan and Ellie escape and drive away. Dan starts checking the radio as they're driving out of town. The commercial is still going to air. Like there hasn't been anything to suggest that the signal has gone out. Ellie is silent. She still has not said a word. And finally, she attacks Dan. She's an android. Oh no. And Dan ends up crashing his car, and Ellie loses her arm, but attacks him again. And Dan locks and loads, finally. Rule number five, lock and load. He grabs a tire iron and beats her down and knocks her head clean off. It's pretty cool, actually. And after a couple more wishy-washy, is she dead, or she's dead, she's not dead moments. Well, before that, she he leaves the tire iron behind. Rule number seven, mm-hmm. hold on to your weapon. There you go. Yep. Because her arm comes back to attack him, and then she comes back one more time to attack him. Just hold on to the tire iron, Dan. At this point, just hold it, hold on to it. Yep. Yeah, he beats her down and gets away, but his car's wrecked, so he's got to go on foot. Yep. And we've only got about an hour to showtime here. Then, yeah. But finally, he shows up with just minutes to go at the gas station from the beginning of the movie. The gas station, same gas station attendant. This is the second guy in a week to come running out of the woods. <laughs> and Dan wants to use the phone. He gets on the line with the broadcasting company, and he's begging them to take the commercial off the air. We have like 30 seconds before it airs. Which, oddly enough, this is probably the same guy that was just talking to Cochran. Yeah, probably. you got to take it off the air. Everybody's lives are on the line. Please take it off the air. Gas station attendant is giving out Halloween candy in the gas station. There's a TV on side. For the 11th and final time, the commercial starts to play. 
and these kids are gathering around it. So we have danger in the room now. Back in the day, 1982, there was only three television channels. So all three of them are playing this commercial and they're watching. The TV is on and Dan is screaming through the phone, like, turn it off, turn it off. The first channel takes it off the air. Technical difficulties, we're sorry. So the, the kids switch to the second channel. That one gets taken off the air. And so they switch to the third channel. And the movie ends with a song playing, dit, 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 and Dan just screaming, turn it off, turn it off, or stop it, stop it, stop it. Cut to black. And that's the end of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. We don't know what happens. Maybe the third channel went off the air. Maybe it didn't. Maybe every kid in America died. Maybe not. It's unclear. So, even though we can't say whether or not anyone died, I think there's still a couple things in this scenario that we can mention. Gas station attendant, I don't think he does anything wrong here. He has no idea what's happening. He has no idea what's happening. I've already said that I am fully in support of his actions to this point. Kids... They, they don't know anything. They've got no reason to suspect anything. They've just been getting super excited about this sweepstakes, this giant announcement, this grand prize for weeks. I mean, they this billionaire has pumped a lot of money into this marketing campaign. Dan, you have three kids in front of you wearing the masks and a television. I get that you want to see if the channels go off the air. Take the masks off the kids. Do it. I don't think he cares about those kids in particular. He's too worried about his own kids. I, I, I know that you need to, again, establish motivation. Is it survival? And it's hard to say. You're saving somebody's kids. And I get it. Like, maybe he doesn't care. But it takes five seconds. Unplug the TV as soon as you realize it's not going off the air. The worst that happens is that, okay, you saved them. But every other kid in America dies. Yep. So, I don't know. I, I just felt a little weird about that with Dan. But I also can understand that he was hysterical at sure. the time it's pretty insane like every kid in america is about to die um and and you know again if i'm looking at it from my perspective like you know you drop me into that exact scenario with his like all the same information in a vacuum i would be like kids take those masks off right now and then i understand that they probably be a little put off by that they might go screaming back to their parents i probably would not care i would say get get them off now now that's just me so that's why i felt the need to say something yeah uh it's a little tough i'm pretty much fine with dan's actions here i don't really have an issue with it because i his headspace makes sense to me it's tough but who knows that is the end of halloween 3 season of the witch so let's go over these rules these new rules we got we only have one and one adjustment first of all we adjusted uh rule number nine to be careful what you say instead of be careful what you say to the police made it a little more general and then rule 29 no half measures Derek, like those? I like the rules. I think be careful what you say comes up a lot in this movie in particular. And I think any movie where you've got strangeness afoot and you're trying to convince rational people to your side, I agree with the rule adjustment. It can't just be the police. It needs to be anyone who has any chance of helping you, whether it's out of immediate danger or saving people. Sure. So I like the rule adjustment. No half measures. I haven't seen Breaking Bad, but I I like the I like the phrase because this is one of those things that I think people shout at their television, shoot them, yep, kill them, finish them off, let them go, whatever. It's don't save them. It's like double tap, but less heat of the moment kind of thing. It's is more like in terms of long term schemes and plans. Don't do the half measures. Do full measures. So it's a similar vein to the double tap. Yeah. Okay. So. Awards. We have two awards to give out here. First is the Randy Meeks Merit Badge, which goes to the character in the movie who did the best job at following these rules. They don't necessarily have to survive. They just have to have done a good job following the rules. And this is, of course, based off Randy from Scream, who is the best. 
character ever. He kind of came up with rules to survive horror movies on his own. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. He never won this award, but it's based off of him. And he's like my hero. His heart was in the right place. His heart was in the right place. So Derek, who do you think should win this award? I have, I only have two nominations for you. Dan has to be one. I think he's a clear favorite if you've seen the movie. Yep. And the other one is the gas station attendant. Sure. Because I love how early he gets out. Sure. He he does his diligence and his good duty by getting this guy, Harry, at the beginning of the movie to the hospital and then asks, hey, am I done? Doctor says, yep. And he does not walk. He jogs very <laughs> hurriedly out of that hospital and, I mean, for all intents and purposes, survived the movie. He could just as easily have turned into more collateral damage, another plot device to show strength of android or henchman or something. Sure. And he did not. So he didn't have as many chances to prove himself. But if you get yourself out of danger, you're no longer interesting to watch. Sure. So those are my two nominations. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yes. I like it, but ultimately, he never even encountered an android. He almost... I I know we gave it to the neighbor the first time around, but I almost feel like he didn't get enough screen time almost to warrant this because he really only had one choice to make in the whole movie. And, you know, we've given that award up before, but... And, and on, on other circumstances, yes. But I feel like with Dan, Dan makes a lot of choices in this movie. And he does make a few mistakes. But in general, he's right on the money. Especially with his escape attempts from, like, the control room. His fleeing the androids in town. He's just... He does a lot of stuff right. And the few things he gets wrong, he does split up from Ellie at one point, And that gets her killed. But he survives that encounter. So he overcomes that his mistake. He does leave a weapon behind at one point, but that ultimately doesn't matter. So I just think with so many choices to make, he had a much greater pool. He didn't have 100%, but it was still very high, especially for a horror movie protagonist. Sure. And, you know, I obviously, I can't take any of that argument away. Yeah. I mean, that argument is sound in and of itself. My only rebuttal, and (laughs) Randy Meek's merit badge goes to whomever you decide. We're talking about how to survive a horror movie, yep. and for most of this movie, Dan's motivation is not That's to survive. And it, 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 it's almost like it's almost like a non-quarterback in the NFL winning the MVP award. They did everything they could in order to win this award, but they'll almost never win it because they weren't the pro tag, you know. And I'm and I'm just trying to bring in that discussion, start that dialogue that you know. In terms of surviving this horror movie, he was no longer interesting. Camera did not follow him. And we saw him. It's not like he just disappeared. Sure. If he would have walked out of the hospital and that was it, I would say nothing. But the fact that he was like, this guy is creeping me out and I want to be gone. Yeah. And he leaves. That's that's my only rebuttal. But that being yep. said, I can't, I can't take away all the good things that Dan did in this movie. Yeah. And I feel like we don't give it to the protagonists enough on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Dan is a really good one. Like, here, here's the thing we're going to run into, I think, a lot with this, is a lot of the times with these horror movies, our protagonists are going to make mistakes, because otherwise we wouldn't have a movie. Yep. And I think it's necessary to reward the protagonists who do a particularly good job. So they're never, or almost never, going to be perfect. But because Dan does such a good job, and he is the protagonist, and we see so much of him, I want to give it to Dan. And I'm okay with that. I, I totally see where you're coming from. Yep. I just, I, I loved it, so. Yep. And you know what? 
And they both survived. Go you know, with them. We basically gave this to a character who did the exact same thing in Scream 2. Um, mm-hmm. And you haven't listened to the Scream 2 podcast yet because I just dropped it. But yeah, the cameraman, Joel, he's like, I think we should leave. I don't want to be here anymore. I read what happened to your last cameraman. I want to get the fuck out. And eventually he's just like, you know, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And then he comes in at the end of the movie to help take some credit for the story. <laughs> so we, we just did this with basically the same kind of character. <laughs> Where you gave it to him. Yeah, and we did give it. He got more screen time, though. Sure. So, yes. Uh, we, we, we just did this, though. So that goes, brings us to our second award, which is the Night of the Living Pleb Award, which goes to the character who does the worst job of surviving the movie. This is based off the character of Barbara from Night of the Living Dead, who is the most useless character of all time. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. So, who do we give it to this time? I Is it Cochran? Yeah, it's got to be Cochran. It honestly has to be Cochran, because the only other person I thought of that is a non-villain is Starker, the, the hobo. There's not a whole lot to work with there, whereas Cochran has such a clear failure. The biggest fuck-up of the movie is his, mm-hmm. where he does not kill Dan. And he has, and he has many of them, kind of sequentially. Whether or not it's more of the the uh, the hard actions, like you know, no half measures, getting creative, monologuing. Yep. Y- you know, all all of those are hard hard mistakes. Like you didn't need to do any of this. Or soft mistakes, which are more of like the constant vigilances. Where like honestly, we're not there. We don't have their field of view. Sure. We know that they should be looking for something. But he's got multiple. In it's a row. snowball effects. Yeah. And part of the thing with this movie is a lot of the characters never knew they were in a horror movie. Yeah. And most of the characters who did know, they're bit parts. They're small roles. It's really and even Ellie, she's she disappears like two thirds of the way through the movie and she's done. Mm-hmm. So basically, this is the Co- Cochran and Dan show. Yeah. The third act is absolutely the Cochran and Dan show. Yeah, Ellie has no lines because it's an android. So it, it, I think it has to be Cochran because he snowballs affects his own plan. He basically torpedoes his own plan. Yeah, absolutely. And you know he saw the iceberg and he didn't steer. Yeah, he he's preventable. He I mean, and who knows? Maybe his plan still went off without a hitch, but he doesn't get to stick around and see it because of his mistakes. Yep. And you know, for a first time ever, we're gonna give this to a villain. Yeah. Connell Cochran is the knight of the living pleb, and he is not so living. I love Connell Cochran. He's a great villain, but yeah, he does a lot of the classic James Bond villain mistakes. Yep. Uh, and he fits right in there. So. All right. Wow. I didn't expect that. I really didn't expect that. And uh, I was expecting to give it to Starker. Yeah. But here we go. Derek, this is the time of the night where you get to reserve a movie for yourself. So really, I think the question I everybody's mind is, do you reserve Halloween 4 or not? Do you want Halloween 4 or the return of Michael Myers? Damn it. Yep. I'm raging completionist. We're gonna go ahead and just uh, stick with the trend here. Right. I'm 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 thirty percent into this series. I can't stop now. Uh, three. You've done three out of eleven. I am just under thirty percent of the way into this series. That's even more depressing. All right, Halloween four it is. All right. Well, Halloween four is now on the wheel, so we could be back here next week. But in the meantime, Derek, go ahead and spin this wheel. Okay, we got another sequel coming up. I still know what you did last summer. So we got Josh Wessler back on the podcast next weekend. That'll be fun. We get a little bit of Jack Black action. Jack Black with dreadlocks next week. So that'll be fun. I still know what you did last summer. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Okay, cool. I haven't seen any of those movies. Well, that's good because once we get the second one done, that leaves one left, and then we'll put something brand new on the wheel. Whole new series. Derek, do you have any social media to plug? You know, I actually do this week. I have started a Instagram account that just shows me wearing pink every Wednesday. You can find it at 
on Wednesdays, we wear pink. It's one of the only real ones. So if you find that one out there and you want to join in the fun, wear pink on Wednesdays. It's just a fun little silly thing I've been doing for years and just decided to start document it. Okay, so go ahead and check that out on Insta. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at HowToHorror, where we'll post the podcast and any new rule updates. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we'd appreciate it, especially if it's five stars. And if you want to write something, maybe one of these days I'll I'll read all the the five-star reviews we ever get. So if you ever want your uh, comments to be read on air, go ahead. That would be cool because we've gotten a few good ones, and I, I really appreciate it. And it does help people find the podcast. And the more people who find it, the more people will listen to it, and the more podcasts I can do. Maybe I can do more than one a week. Maybe I can do special podcasts. Um, Maybe we can save more people. Maybe we can save more people with our rules. (laughs) So, yeah, so check us out on Twitter, and check Derek out on Insta, and, yeah. Anything else? Nope, I got nothing for you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, Derek, thanks for coming on. You're always a great guest. It's always a lot of fun. This has been the How to Survive a Horror Movie podcast. Stay safe out there. Uh, uh, uh.